0: Welcome back to another episode of the hockey news on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller as always alongside Patrick Williams. This week, we're going to start with part two of our interview with Connor Carrick. We had the first part of it last week where Connor got into some more general things with respect to how the game is analyzed by media, the kind of discrepancies between the average fan and what the advanced people like himself know and how to bridge that gap. Great conversation on those topics. But for this week, we're going to get into Connor's career right now, what it's like to be in the AHL and sort of the changing landscape of it. And a lot of cool things with respect to what a player like him is evaluating free agency. So I don't want to spoil it all. So, you know, without further ado, let's get part two of the episode going on.
1: You know, thinking back to, you know, you're discussing Boston and Washington and New Jersey and the NHL in general, like, a lot of times those guys have played together for years and years and years and they know each other, like, you know, the back of their hands. How is that different though in the AHL where you have guys coming and going
2: <clears throat> on a weekly basis almost? I mean, it's really tough. The American League s- s- schedule entirely. I mean, you're well aware of, you know, the cost of doing business in a three and three style. Uh, um, there's a pacing of players. There's a certain, uh, there are certain plays that they won't make. Uh, I remember I asked one of our trainers uh, in Toronto who would actually worked in football, and I was like, just curious, like what's the difference between, you know, football and, and hockey in and, and some different regards? And he goes, oh, the energy on game day when it came to football just because there were so few games. Mm-hmm. And it always kind of clicked. Like you look around a lot of locker rooms, for, you know, for games 30 through 70, it's a beat-up group. I mean, if you look around a locker room at game 10, you can't believe that there's 60, 70 more games to go plus a mm-hmm. playoff run. Um, so it's just a, a different nature to our game and, and particularly the American league, you have a lot of, uh, change. You have a lot of bodies. I find that to be an issue a lot of times just because you don't have the, uh, you know, capped, uh, number of players. So, you know, management and coaches are trying to do their best to keep everyone, uh, fresh in their game. And that is, you know, part of the definition it is a, a developmental league in nature, um, so it it's, uh, it's a little rougher on the edges that way, but it's, it's, it's beautiful in its own right. Now, the other,
1: the other challenge in the HL too is you, you get these prospects that come in and they, they kind of want to be the NHL yesterday. and then you also have a lot of players that have really been kind of kicked around the business and bring some baggage with them and, and maybe are looking down the road to, to Europe. How do you pull everyone onto the same page? get everyone to kind of play for a team concept rather than their own careers at this level.
2: I, I mean, it's such a team sport. You're yeah. going to struggle tremendously uh, with too much individualism. And I think that is where, you know, culture and coaching, you know, mm-hmm. really can, can help. There's always a story to be told, uh, you know, that can motivate individuals and, and players and, and, and appreciation for, the moment that you have now. And I think it really just, it always comes down to the individual. Like, do you want to identify as a person who, when things are going really well for you, mm. are you, uh, you know, brave enough, strong enough, uh, enough of a leader to, to do your best period. Mm. And when things are not going well, like, are you open to trying again and again and again? And if the answer is yes, I am one of those guys. You look at my hockey TV, there's a lot of different, you know, stops. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm – I feel way more encouraged, uh, way more spirited right now, coming to the rink every day than I have ever in my career before. Uh, Some of my darkest days in this game where, you know, I'm not sure – my heart was in it to the, to the extent that it is now where, when I was playing often in the NHL, because mm-hmm. the culture and coaching was difficult or abrasive, or I, you know, felt you know, personally, you know, deeply disrespected and and, and in ways that uh, it, there was, there was adversity that was um, I, I wasn't as mature to handle it at the time. I wasn't as seasoned. And uh, it, it, as you know, it always circles around to you ask any player, like, how's it feel when the puck's on your stick, man, it's a good mm-hmm. time. You know, when you're skating well, like how, how pure is that? When you're, when you're skating well, the game's going on, you just you feel like you got an extra step. That's encouraging. That, that's a fun thing to experience. Okay, park that. In order to feel that way, there's some preparation that's got to take place. Let's let's get after that.
1: And coaching-wise, you have Ryan Muginnell. You You've played for a lot of coaches. What is it like to play for him?
2: He's upbeat. I think mm-hmm. he takes into consideration the demands of the American League. There mm-hmm. is, without it ever being said, a degree of everyone's here and wishes they were someone else. They were somewhere else. Yeah. And so, how do you draw people into the present moment and help them uh, feel a, a bit of joy to be here with the hunger, balance with the hunger to, to prove themselves? And I think, you know, Ryan Muciennelli is a a strong ambassador uh, for our game. He is challenging. He has uh, some old school uh, demands in, in how he plays. And a lot of that filters down from the Boston Bruins as well and, and just the culture that they've had and that has been longstanding, uh, you know, up there. Um, he, he, he's a good time to, to play for. And I think he does a really nice job, particularly with younger players where, you know, it, it's, a, it's a little tricky for them. Uh, They're looking around maybe other friends, guys that they were drafted uh, ahead of having a ton of success. And at some point you've got to fight the fight you're in. And I think he does a good job focusing uh, players that way. And then just, you know,
1: so you've been through this, this routine before free agency in the summer, right? You know, we we're used to seeing free agency in hockey and, July 1 rolls around, and it's the hype with, you know, the big NHL names. What is it like for rank-and-file players, which are the vast majority of the league, um, to go through that? And what made Boston a good fit for you?
2: Um, you know, Boston expressed an interest, and uh, I loved the way that they played. I had familiarity, mm-hmm. oddly. Ryan Mujanel was the assistant coach with the Hershey Bears 10 years ago as a rookie when I came in. And so I just – I knew the personality and I knew what he valued uh, and that that might be a fit. So, you know, my goal was obviously to make Boston. Um, but I, I – I, you always account for what the underside of, you know, what's the floor of the situation look like if I am in the minors. And then Jim Montgomery, I thought, did a really nice job in Dallas and I would played some good hockey for him. I was playing you – know, I had a big injury there, but uh, the night I got hurt, I played 22 minutes. Like I – so the, the, the word every – Uh, depth players looking for is leash and trust right like so i was approaching that with him at a previous time and i thought he was uh, a great mind for the game and and what he wanted from his team so i thought that was a good fit actually the d coach was john gruden who was my coach at the u.s development team and john whom i knew another great ambassador for the game i think uh challenging while being a genuinely good person and treats you as one and uh i think alongside a a stellar roster, you know, that the Don Sweeney and and the team has has had, I think they have a great staff. And so that was really uh, a key point uh, for me. And, you know, there were some uh, other options, but I was really excited at, at what they had in Boston.
0: Just further to that, when you're evaluating the landscape of teams and whatnot, you mentioned like how they played, but on the other side of the coin, in terms of like a city living there and whatnot, what kind of things, you know, do you discuss with, your family, your partner, whoever it may be—that people may not really think—come into play.
2: I mean, you you want it to be family friendly. You want to have, uh, you know, restaurants you can go to. You want it to be, you know, somewhat drivable. We enjoy an urban environment. We live kind of out in the woods in the summer, so it's it's kind of a nice contrast. Uh, ideally, you want the NHL club to be close. If you are in a call-up situation, that's what every depth guy wants—is to get called up and that produces tremendous stress on the family. I was in Charlotte last year because Seattle didn't have Coachella Valley up and running. That could have been a tough year if you're doing cross-country flights all season long. You know, my son was a year younger at that point. He turns two at the end of the month. That's a handful. Um, And so you, you do evaluate those things and uh, it's a fluid situation that the biggest trouble you run into as you, uh, I you know I'm on a one year deal. Is uh, you know some of the schooling situations and how you organize preschool and how do you get your kid in swimming class? Because these are these are really important things and they're actually things I've I've struggled with. They aren't uh, things I've been able to organize and, and pull off particularly even this year. Teams will generally help uh, the best they can, but it's a, it's the same across the board. Like the NHL is going to get uh, the 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 most amount of available help that they can. They have people for these positions. They have, uh, you know, stronger ties and pull within the community. Um, the American league, it's an implied, uh, you'll figure it out on your own sort of, sort of deal. You know, and,
1: uh, you last, you mentioned Charlotte last year, you played there in a the dual affiliation, very kind of a unique setup. Um, you know, as somebody that likes to evaluate different teams, different systems, what did you learn playing there as a Seattle uh, con- contracted player, you know, playing alongside Florida players?
2: I thought it was done the only way it could be, and that was as if it was his own entity, which was, I thought, really remarkable. I thought Jordy Kinnear uh, held guys extremely accountable. He was pretty clear in how he wanted to play. He was consistent in his message. He was demanding in practice. He rewarded guys that played well. Uh, he, kept you know accountable guys that didn't and it was really regardless of affiliation. Uh you had Dan Bilesman who I think was you know very refreshed. It's no secret. I think he's a big part of why Coachella Valley's having success. He's a high end uh hockey mind. That quality of coach is generally recruited for the National Hockey League. But you know he kinda had a kick at the can there and, and is you know quote unquote, you know, maybe doing some uh his time to to try to get back in that conversation. Um, he was awesome for us. And I think it was the perfect blend of just positionally, uh, there, there was competition, but not an overcrowding where, you know, conflict was, was going to come up a ton. And, uh, we had a, we had a blast. We had a, we had a good team. We had a good Mm -hmm. run at the end. We ran into a very strong Springfield team. I think it was just a tough matchup for us really all year. Um, you know, but we, we had a good group. And I, I mean, I, with all the transition oftentimes in, in the American league level, you, you do lose contact with a lot of your ex teammates. And I still talk to quite a few of those guys uh, really weekly.
1: You've been in different uh, career roles. You've been the the prospect coming in, you know, breaking through to the NHL full time. Now you're in that, that late twenties uh, stage that so many players find themselves in. What is that, that transition in mindset, like as a player?
2: Um, I mean there's a there's a healthy degree of deniability where you mm-hmm. you know wanna get back in that conversation and, and earn a full time position again. There's a a grappling with the you know, finality and, and being on the on the back nine. This is my tenth year professional. So I mean unless I'm gonna play twenty years, um, you know, this is the second half. You know, even if I play twenty years. So uh I I think you or I at least particularly appreciate the game. I think I've learned so much about myself through the trials and the tribu- tribulations, the successes, the injuries, the trades. Uh, my marriage has had so many different tests and opportunities for, for challenge and growth. Um, you, you really start to boil down what's important to you and, and how do I want to about not just this job, but really any job mm-hmm. and, and any career opportunity that I would have in my life. Uh, and I think what's really crazy is I you know, I mentioned earlier, I have a son and so far, who knows if it sticks, like he's hockey obsessed. And mm-hmm. so now all of a sudden there's this really renewed interest to, to relearn because it's, who knows, if he might lean on me someday and, and have questions for me. And I, and so it, it's no longer only a self-serving uh, thing he he comes on the ice with us you know after practice from time to time um there's a hockey gym in the area here that they got a big synthetic ice area i take him once twice a week because he loves it and who knows and so all of a sudden wow if i can have this be an avenue to express myself express my values for sure that's awesome uh hockey's all you know for the most part all i've ever known but now i have my son's watching and he's taking note of how dad goes through the world. And I, I want him to believe it's possible to do something that you really enjoy doing. It's hard. It, mm-hmm. it challenges me. I have some really dark days where I really wish results were different. Um, but who knows, maybe it's something we, we share over the coming years and and uh, we'll, we'll see what, what happens next. If you were going to go back
1: in time and talk to a young Connor Carrick, first, second year prospect, What would your message to him be?
2: Um, There's always an opportunity uh, to grow your game. The relationship with your career is permanent. The people around you will fade away. So, you know, if there's a dominant coach or a dominant voice that's maybe giving you a hard time, there's still an opportunity to work on your game, and you likely won't play for this guy forever, good or bad. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, at at some point you will always remember the way in which you carry yourself. And I think that that is a very loaded statement.
0: Absolutely. Well, Connor, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. And we really appreciate your time.
2: Absolutely. Thanks guys. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Connor for coming on. What, what an amazing speaker and seriously one of the true gems in league in terms of the way he can, I, I find it very interesting the way that he's able to break down very complicated things and not just that, but peel back the curtain as to what the mindset and sort of the logistics of someone like him is dealing with. I think that's some really, really awesome insight. And again, thank you so much, Connor. So for now we're going to get to an interesting topic and another interesting player within in the AHL and that's Alex Golchenyak. So he's having a very good season with the Colorado Eagles right now. He, he was in camp with the avalanche, Got injured, I believe, right, Pat? He got injured within yeah. preseason? <clears throat> preseason, yes. Got injured in preseason, kept in, in talking terms, whatever, and they signed him to a deal to be with the AHL. So 24 points in 25 games, and he's trying to get his way back up to the NHL. And, Pat, you actually spoke to him and, and Greg Cronin in Colorado, and it's funny because you and I were talking as you we were preparing, and I said, well, why is a guy like him kind of play, still playing? What's he doing? And what's the kind of the goal here? And you seem to have an interesting – Understanding of what that may be.
1: Yeah, he's well. You know, I think Alexander Kerfoot is a pretty well-known entity at this point. Uh, Eleven pro seasons. He was third overall pick by the Montreal Canadiens. He's had a thirty-goal season by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he's had a career anybody would be thrilled to have, right? Totally. Um, but uh, the you know the last uh, three years or so have just his career definitely went sideways. <clears throat> Played for. Several clubs, Um, his goal production, his point production definitely fell off considerably. Um, And so this this summer, there just weren't many opportunities out there for him. Uh, Avalanche come calling. Uh, He he said that was extremely appealing to him, a team fresh off a a Stanley Cup. Um, In his words, he was fired up to go to camp with them. Obviously, there's... You know, a little bit of a setback with the injury, but uh, you know, I think to his credit, he he was willing to go um, on a PTO with the Colorado Eagles, play there uh, for a bit. He earned himself an NHL contract for the rest of the year. Actually, got himself four games up with the Avs before coming back to color to, to the Colorado Eagles. And I think the most interesting part is um, he is trying to rebrand himself. Um, I think we've all known him for a long time as somebody that could produce offensively, but defensive game was lacking. Um, and he's working very closely with great Cronin, the head coach there um, who was, it was interesting. So they were on a road trip uh, back to November. So this was the first week that Galchenyuk was with uh, the Eagles. Uh, the bus breaks down on the side. So they're on the side of the highway. They have a couple hours to to sit there and, and, and chat um, just to even get to know each other. They just met um, pretty recently and um, Cronin gave him the straight deal. He said, you know, we've done all of our, you know, intel. you know, Intel work. We, we spoke with, uh, you know, people that have followed him, you know, coaches and other people in the business. I mean, Cronin's got 35 years of coaching experience, so he's got a network of contacts everywhere. And um, you know, he was very blunt with him. He said, you know, here's the knock on you. Your defensive game just is not good enough. Um, and Galchenyuk to his credit bought in. Right. And so ever since then uh, he's been in the AHL for the most part and they're, they're working really closely on all of his uh, really, re- re- kind of taking his defensive game down to the foundation and then rebuilding it back up and, part that was interesting for me is I mean here's a guy who played in the NHL for 650 something games and he himself admitted that um he didn't even know what he didn't know uh, about defensive work and um, you know for the longest time he was able to just get by by producing and teams would kind of overlook any shortcomings uh away from the puck and defensively and um but obviously as that production has fallen off now you have to bring something else uh Again, to his credit, he realizes that he recognized that he had to do that. Um, he's really bought into the entire um, overhaul of his game. I mean that that's difficult to do, I think, for any player. Uh, he's been playing one way pretty much his entire life, and, and ten years in the NHL one way, and now he's trying to reinvent himself uh, as you know, good two way defensive forward. And uh, you know, it's it's it's. I was thinking of this. It's almost Similar to what you'll see junior players do, right? They they put up huge numbers. Um, they they turn pro, but it's obvious that their their future, if there's going to be one, in pro is going to be as a defensive forward, and so they have to really kind of completely learn to play a different style right. from what they did. And that's this is that situation, but with ten years in the NHL behind it. Uh, So it's that much more of a a dramatic uh, shift for a player. And he's 28 years old, so he's he's certainly um, on the older side uh, to be turning around his career. So, yeah, it was a very interesting chat we had.
0: Well, it's funny, too, because from Colorado's perspective, you have Nate Max deal coming in next season. Mm -hmm. Kale McCars, if it hasn't already come in yet, it will be next year. Whatever. He's making another nine million. They did sign Lannis Coggle for last season. It's a lot of money to your core. So, and also granted, they trade a lot of their draft capital for deadline additions. So they've got a hit on those, you know, league minimum deals. Mm-hmm. They signed Ben Myers out of Minnesota. They, they've been good there. But in terms of offensive punch and potential, and, you know, of course, he's got to be better defensively. But I think you naturally one would think that the real advantage here is if you can get his defensive game to a decent enough point, you could have him on your second power play unit. You could have a sort of a mismatch there. And it's funny because I almost think that the biggest mistake Golchenyak made was leaving Toronto because they re- like the development staff there saw Golchenyak as a guy that has played on you know five teams within like three years at that point. And they had him with the Marlies, they had a development plan with him. He's with the Leafs. He actually became a pretty serviceable producer for the Leafs. Then, you know, kind of a grass is greener approach, I would think. He goes to Arizona where, oh, there's more ice time opportunity, whatever. Scores 20 points in 60 games. Again, nothing crazy good. And then from there, he kind of tapers off. So I think, if anything, there's the angle of, oh, he'll go down to the HL and dominate and then come back up. No, it's it's what you're saying, Pat. It's he's got to reinvent his game. You see it a lot in the NHL now. Even like, look at a guy like Eric Stahl in Florida. Yeah, he's be because of just the nature of his a age, b you know the decline that comes with that. He's had to reinvent his game. And Gaulchaniak, you know, I think a lot of people would have wanted to come sooner. Um, and I and I say that in reference to when he's in Montreal. There's all that talk about it. is your number one center or all that stuff. But anyways, all that aside, I think it's it's a really good gamble by Colorado. And mm-hmm. for Gulchaniak, it's a great place for him to try to reinvent himself. Colorado's both their teams are nearby each other. It, sorry, are the Eagles in Denver too? Or are they are like, they're,
1: they're about an hour north, uh, Loveland. Okay. It's, uh, but nothing right great. up the highway.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty serviceable idea for both sides. Let's move on to the our prospect of the week. And he is a prospect that was just part of the NHL blockbuster with Bo Horvat. And that is. Atu Ratu of I almost said the Islanders, but no, of the Vancouver Canucks organization, soon to be Abbotsford Canuck. One of those players where the name is kind of a life of its own. He was projected when he was, you know, 16 or 15, whatever it was, but from a young age to be the, the next kind of prodigy. And as it happens sometimes, it didn't kind of work out that way in terms of him playing pro in a teenage year. Anyways, he slipped on draft in 2021. Islanders drafted him the second round, 52nd overall. He's been with Bridgeport the last two years. Or, sorry, this is his first year at Bridgeport mainly, my bad. Played a couple games in Long Island with the NHL team this year, scoring his first two career NHL goals. But so far this season, Ati Ratu has 15 points in 27 games with the Bridgeport Islanders at the AHL. He's headed over to Abbotsford, and Patrick Alvin said, when assessing the trade, in his mind, they got three first-rounders back. Now I'm not about to get into that because that logic's kind of makes my mind go in a pretzel. Um, as I don't know if you can really consider a second round pick from before first, no matter how much his value goes up or down, which is kind of sloppy logic. But Pat, you, you got, you spoke to some of his former teammates and, and coaches today or yesterday. I can't remember, but what, what's kind of the read on him and, and the player that he could be, uh, what, what's Vancouver getting in him?
1: Yeah. So I spoke with William Dufour, who's a fellow, uh, Really strong prospect. Uh, uh, Dufour was a fifth rounder, put up huge numbers uh, last year in the queue uh, w- with uh, St. John. But, uh, you know, he's having a good year himself uh, as a rookie at Bridgeport. And, and Bridgeport themselves, they've been very up and down this year. But, you know, I figured, I mean, so you have Dufour, he's played with him. He's also played against him I uh, this past summer at the World Junior Championship, we're out to was there and Dufour obviously with Canada and um yeah the first thing that that obviously every player will tell you is just the skill is evident right off the bat right you know <clears throat> the shot it comes comes to mind right away um the, the hockey instinct uh, that's very obvious um Dufour just also mentioned just uh the you play with him right and like so you're facing him and he's he's just such a dangerous player in so many different ways he can beat you in different ways and i talked to Brent Thompson his head coach and you know Brent Thompson's always been a real a real honest uh direct uh, quote and uh you know again the, Brent Thompson will certainly speak to the uh the on ice component that anybody could see if you watch to even for 5 minutes but uh coachability um right off the bat you know and Thompson's a pretty old school coach so I put a lot of stock into that uh, uh in the sense that you know he's he's he demands a lot out of his players so so the fact that Thompson is willing to, to to say that that he's very coachable very very smart um you know he thinks the game extremely well um you know just a smart guy all around uh and his work ethic uh again Thompson um that's a real he's a real stickler for that and uh, so for Thompson to cite those different ingredients above and beyond what you see on the ice, um, I thought was very impressive. And, and, you know, this is a player that actually, you know, obviously when, when I spoke for them, he's no longer within the Islander system. They could have both of them could have kind of punted the question or they could uh, certainly have, uh, you know, said a, a few you know, very generic, nice uh, words and, and moved on. But uh, they were both very effusive in there. um, in their assessment of Ratu, so um, as Thompson said, you know we got Horvat, but you know in order to get something valuable, you have to give up something valuable, and I thought that was spot on with uh, with uh, how things applied to Ratu. So I, I think the Canucks are, are are getting a good one. Uh, they're going to send him down to Abbotsford. Uh, they actually just did that this week. So he'll get a he'll get a chance here to play with uh, Klimovic, uh, Pokolsin, uh, some some good young forwards there. Um, and it looks like I think they're going to try to avoid the mistakes in the past uh, that the Canucks have made with other players rushing them. And I think they're going to take their time with route two and, and not try to put them in to too much too soon. You um, did obviously have some time earlier with the with New York Islanders uh, this year, but uh, you know, he's, there's still certainly a lot to do um, in terms of rounding on his game. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you have to be pretty happy with what you got uh, in terms of route to.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt it. I just I, I don't know if this is a guy that screams star. I think that's probably the contention from, from Canucks fans' perspective or whatever it may be. But yeah, from from everything I've heard and, and the brief little bit I've seen, it seems like he's probably a middle six guy in terms of his ceiling mm-hmm. and kind of his trajectory. I mean, it is it, a matter of Vancouver banking on him reaching the potential that many thought he used to have. I don't know. Mind you, they passed on him too, right? In this draft. Mm. So it's not like, I don't think that they're asking for something crazy, Um, but yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I think that it's definitely one of those sort of high upside picks where you're, you're banking on him being a more than a serviceable player, a impact player, not a game changer, but someone Mm. that can, can slot in in the near um, future to some degree.
1: Yes, certainly somebody that can, you know, be a second or a third-line role, uh, you know, kind of depending. I mean, obviously, there's tons of missing, or moving pieces in Vancouver right now, but if that's where right. it ultimately settles out, I think, you know, in addition to, obviously, what else they, they got in the deal, I think uh, if that happens, uh, Vancouver would certainly be very happy with that outcome, and, uh, you know, he'll get to work with Jeremy Colleton, the head coach in Abbotsford, so that will be good, uh, and we'll just have to give this one some time and see, but um, yeah, I saw there, you know, there was definitely some consternation there coming out of Vancouver, you know, the the fan base and and such, but um, I would just say, pump the brakes on all that. You know, he's still very young. Um, His first year in North America, you know, full season and there's still tons of uh, runway there. There's certainly still a lot to be written on his, uh, you know, what he ultimately becomes. But I think for right now um, he's trending well. And, uh, you know, we're not there yet in terms of what he will be, but uh, it's encouraging at this point.
0: Let's shift over to our pro- our team of the week, and that's the St. Louis Blues. A lot of interesting players that are with Springfield or have been with St. Louis recently but back down because of the All-Star break that's happening up there. But what's interesting, too, about St. Louis is the way it's looking now, there's going to be some changes there soon. I think that we'll be dealing some of those big guys. And what you see after the deadline with teams like this is some of these guys we're about to mention could be coming up in sort of a show-me type of call-up or out of pure necessity. They may not have enough guys to, to ice a roster, so they may have to bring them up sooner than they would have anticipated. We'd be remiss not to start with this guy, and that's Joel Hofer, stud. Got the contract extension mid-year. I, I, I'd be shocked if he wasn't in Saint, like, one of the two goalies St. Louis has next year. And just he seems like to be getting better and better. And it's scary because I wouldn't think he's a blade bloomer, I'm not saying that, but goaltenders in general take the longest to the belt. Mm. He's only twenty two, but he's getting better and better each year. And it's just like it's crazy to think what he could even accomplish next year and beyond. Like this is him at twenty two putting up these types of numbers. He's a nine seventeen save percentage of twenty eight games this year. He had a really strong playoff with them last year as well. Like it just seems like he keeps going up, up and up. Keyword, I
1: think, is the playoff. Uh, that was such a huge uh, jump for him. Uh, you know, you saw, saw quite a bit of him last season as really a first-year full-time AHL player. And, you know, like any young goalie, there were ups and downs, right? There were nights where you definitely saw the potential, and there are other nights where you're like, all right, he's a rookie goalie, and, you know, this league can, uh, it can make life very difficult for, for a young goalie trying to find their way. But... Um, last year, the, the Thunderbirds, they went to the Calder cup final, uh, and, and Hofer had that net for a good portion of that playoff run through, you know, three rounds coming out of the East. And then, uh, in that, that final round as well, uh, Charlie Lindgren, who's obviously now at the Washington Capitals was, he was on recall, uh, to the blues during their own Stanley cup run. So, um, that, net turned over to Hofer and, uh, he, he really took that opportunity I thought and ran with it. And uh, he also got to, you know, when Lindgren was in Springfield, uh, he got to work with a really good veteran, a player that had been through his own ups and downs as a young goalie prospect. Uh, So I think having that mentorship early on in his career, his first year as a a full-time pro was a huge, huge bonus for Hofer. And now this year it's his net uh, and Springfield's really had some good goaltending, even amidst a, a real up and down season with a lot of injuries and, and a ton of call-ups. So uh, I think Hofer, yeah, that, that contract extension really spoke to uh, the potential that the Blues see there.
0: Jake Neighbors, another person that's interesting, 2020 first-round pick of the Blues. This year he's been sort of half and half. He was just with St. Louis for about 27 games, started the out with Springfield where he had 14 points in 19 games, back down during the All-Star break. Definitely one of their quicker emerging players. Like it's pretty crazy. Like last year he was still in junior. Yeah, the fact that he's playing NHL games now is, is pretty crazy. He's only twenty years old. I I, yeah. I would suspect that whether he goes back up after the deadline or not, I think that they're probably hoping for a long run um, in the playoffs if that's how it turns out, and that's probably their hope there. But but what what's the four on one on Jake Neighbors?
1: Kind of a, he's kind of a big horse, you know, type wing, right? Like just like you the know, animal. Can- yeah. He can just, he can log minutes. Uh, he can grind for you. Um, uh, I think there is some scoring touch there. Uh, maybe when all is said and done and he's maybe fully developed, uh, works hard, you know, so just, uh, kind of, uh, a real sort of prototypical, typical up and down, uh, traditional type winger, And, uh, I think the blues have themselves a good one. And, I'm pretty impressed, all things considered, with neighbors. I mean, you know, like a lot of those young players that, that, that really, I think, had to deal with the, the disruption caused by the pandemic season, I think he's he's handled it well. Um, and I think if you're the Blues, again, a lot like Hofer, you have to be happy with where his development's at. Uh, he's gotten some time up, uh, up and down this year. Um, I'd love to see him maybe stick in Springfield down the stretch and, and get to be the guy. Uh, or one of the guys uh, for a stretch drive. Springfield's definitely going to be in that situation where they're 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 in a tight playoff race already. Uh, so they're going to every game down the stretcher is probably going to be a tight one. So um, I think that would be a real good experience for him, if possible.
0: Neighbors kind of fits the mold of what the Blues have long had in on their wings. Barbashev, mm-hmm. Bucnevich, they went out to get um, just Josh Levo, even. Yeah Gr- and I, when I say grit I think the word grit is kind of misconstrued as as enforcer like sort of like like just a guy that throws haymakers but when I say grit I just mean that compete and that one-on-one battles on the wall like neighbors really embodies yep. what the blues of oh, yeah. kind of had there
1: Patrice Bergeron's gritty
0: you know the way he plays so yeah, yeah I think know. gritty
1: gets gritty gets a bad bad rap yeah.
0: sometimes but
1: uh, yeah it just means a guy that that will work the opponent for the puck and will take the exactly. play and all those all those elements you need to win.
0: Right. I think the, the, the way the word gets bad is when coaches use it to substitute or to excuse um, negative play. So that's probably mm-hmm. how, but yeah, I think, I think neighbors makes a lot of sense for this core going forward. It'll be interesting to see like if they keep him down there or send him back up, it's probably something that's interesting to monitor. And another thing that's interesting to monitor is will bitten. Now this guy is probably the fastest rising prospect in that organization. Because, you know, he started in the Minnesota organization, wasn't working out, was thrown into a trade, ended up in St. Louis. Last year with Springfield, he popped off, like oh, like shot of a cannon, almost like out of nowhere. I, I don't think anyone saw it. So, for example, last year with Springfield, he had 25 points in 45 games regular season. Playoffs were all around, 21 points in 18 games. This series got twenty eight points in thirty five games. in The H L. He's actually even had four games with the Blues as well. Third round pick of Montreal back in twenty sixteen. So He's kind of on a second wave here, or th- sorry, third organization he's part of. What's made him able to climb that ladder and kind of knock on the door to become a at least a player that plays some games for them?
1: Yeah, so so he was in the Minnesota system, and that time I think just run its course. Uh, you know, he definitely kind of uh, plateaued there. Uh, so, right. you know, like a lot of players, you know, he kind of gets that, 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 uh, second in his case, I guess you might say third, depending on how you assess the Montreal thing, but uh, another shot, you know, so he goes there mid season to Springfield has a solid finish to a season and then just built for the playoffs. I mean, a real just energy player. He drove opponents nuts all throughout the, uh, the entire postseason run that Springfield went on. Uh, and then and he also really kind of, uh, displayed a, a nice little story touch as well, uh, that, uh, maybe ha- had not always been part of his game at this level. Um, and he, I think more importantly, he carried that over this to this season, right? Like, so he wasn't just p- playing off the adrenaline of, of a playoff run and everything that comes with that. So, you know, he started producing going through the kind of the, the, the early grind into the, the mid season grind of the American hockey league. You know, so, so short off season comes in, um, really brings that same style that worked for him last spring and is able to keep it going. That consistency level that, the coaches, you know, constantly talk about, he's been able to show that. And yeah, like you said, he got some time up with the, with the blues, depending on I guess what St. Louis does here down the stretch. uh, I won't be surprised to see him get some more time. I think uh, every team needs some guys like that. So, you know, those energy guys, the guys that can kind of mix things up a little bit and, Go out and maybe do something. You know, if the team's flat that night early on, and uh, you throw him on the ice, he he'll do something. He'll create something. He'll create a turnover, a hit, um, a scoring chance. I think that's where where he really fits and and, and shines really well.
0: Matt Kessel is another person, mm-hmm. another late round pick that has also climbed the ladder. Is he is he on the cusp of getting games, or does he need the remainder of this year, maybe? show what he can do the HL before we start talking that way.
1: Yeah. Um, I think he's close uh, or at least he's getting there. I mean, I mean the interesting for him, thing for him, right? So like he came out of UMass, right. And obviously, so you're looking at essentially half of a pro schedule in a given season. Um, and then that pandemic season was even shorter uh, for him. He only had 29 games that year. Um, so it was interesting. So last year he plays 37 games with UMass. They wrap up their season. He immediately turns pro, goes to Springfield. Between the end of the regular season and uh, the playoffs because of that run, he ended up playing 33 games in the AHL. So only four off the entire output of games that he you know gone through the entire you know, season at UMass. So he ended up kind of making up a lot of that time in a, in a short period. And now this year has come in and really carry that in real big, solid, sturdy type defenseman. Uh, certainly shows some playmaking ability at the college level. I'm not entirely sure that's completely been reached yet at this level in the AHL, but I, mean, I think that's to be expected, right? I mean, you don't expect, a, especially a player that you know stepped in, you know, for the playoffs last year, you know, when the, the level of play just goes up that much higher, um, you know, I think he's shown a little bit more of that this year. That confidence has been building. So I think, uh, you know, he's a fifth round pick, right? So the, the Blues, I think, got themselves a nice bargain there. And um, I think he'll certainly finish this season in Springfield. But I think next year is when he'll really start to challenge for some call ups uh, with the with the Blues. And um, so where it goes from there, but I think uh, I think he's been a pretty encouraging uh, prospect so far, considering. Again, uh, something of a, an abbreviated um, repertoire of games uh, as a young player, you know, before he turned pro. And then now getting into the flow of things, uh, getting a playoff run uh, a month into his uh, pro career, I thought I thought that was huge for him. And uh, I'm in, in interested to see where he can take this.
0: Last one, Nikita Alexandrov. Mm-hmm. I know that he, he was sent down to Springfield about a week ago. Um, at some point, but he'd been with the blues for a while. Like, is he, I don't want to say graduated, but like, has, is he still like fighting to prove something or where's his game at? Cause I, I saw him play with the blues a bunch this year.
1: Yeah. I think he's, he's like right on that line. Um, I think the bubble. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think with, with our teams, he'd already would have crossed that line into the NHL, uh, second round pick. So obviously there's a lot of potential there coming in. And he certainly I thought he, maybe had a little bit of a slow adjustment period last year, but uh, this year he's really taken off um, and sort and, yeah, of he's, he's shown some scoring pop with the Springfield Thunderbirds, but um, I think he's just about there. And again, I think if, if uh, depending on what St. Louis does uh, coming down the stretch here, I won't be surprised to see him if they do start to maybe move some players around or move some players out that uh, he steps in and, and Take a role there and, and sticks stick there for uh, for good.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got for today's show, folks. I hope you liked the second part of Carrick. I think he's definitely someone we're to try to have on again this year. He's just a. It's funny we spoke to him for about like forty minutes, and I felt like I could have gone on for hours with the guy. Like it's almost like yeah. but we were just scratching the surface, really. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe he'll replace me on this. I bet we'd all <laughs> like that. Um. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be sure to get you next week. We have a really cool guest coming up. I think you all really like it. A little something different than what we usually have. But until then, take care, guys.